We begin today's year four lines from the top of Daf Yud Gimel. You'll notice we have a crown shape around the word Masnisen. This is a continuation of a marking that we started in our previous year, on, back on Daf Yud Beis, when we indicated that there are a series of Mishnayas in which you see a Machlokis on the one hand, Rabbi Gamliel and Rebbe Lozer, versus Rebbe Yoshua, whether or not to believe a woman in her claims against what her husband claims. And each Mishnah features a new type of claim. The practical uh, outcome of these claims is uh, regarding the amount that the husband will have to, or not have to, pay toward the Ksuba. On the side of our Gemara, Daf Yud Gimel, uh, at the upper part of the page in the margin, you see the word Nosei. The Nosei represents the topic heading. And we've written, Orus Hatoyen Al Arusoso Drusus Ishat Kodem Sherastich. A husband who claims that his uh, wife was uh, involved in harlotry before he wedded her. And she counterclaims Shemukas Eitz that she was lost her psulim because of impact with some foreign substance like a piece of wood, but not because of her intimacy with another man. There will be an Amoraic Machlokes in the Gemorrah. How much is each one actually claiming as far as how much the Ksuba should be? So now we read the Mishnah. He Omeres Mukas Eitzani. She says that her loss of virginity was a, as a result of uh, impact with some other substance. The who Omer and the husband claims Loki Eladrusas Ishat. No, you were involved with intimacy before I married you, and that's how you lost your virginity. Rabon Gamli of Reblazer Omrim Nemenis, they grant her believability. Rabbi Yeshua Omer Lopin Pionuchayim. This phrase we saw in our in the previous Mishnah, this is a phrase that you, you see repeated in each one of these Mishnahs that we already noted as a series. And he says, we don't live according to her words, meaning we don't believe her. She is considered having the status of someone who was with another man. Until she can bring proof to substantiate her claim. Each one, the woman and the man, what are they claiming with regard to how much the ksuba should be? Rabbi Yochanan Omer Rabbi Yochanan says that when she says she's going for the, the entire bank, meaning she's going for the full amount of the ksuba, meaning 200 zuz. This is the amount that the ksuba of a virgin, of a basula, would be. And Rabbi Lozer Omer Omer uh, wait, I don't, actually, let's just go back with regard to Rabbi Yochanan ben Masayim. And mona, mona means 100 zuz. This is the amount that the husband in his claim by saying, you were with another man before I married you and others, you lost your, you lost your virginity through intimacy. He is saying, therefore, I will owe you no more than 100 zuz. We continue in the Gemara. Rabbi Lazar, Omar, the 
uh, opponent of Rabbi Yochanan says she is claiming a ksuba of only 100 and he is claiming that I do not owe you anything Rabbi Yochanan Omar now we analyze Rabbi Yochanan's approach the 200 versus 100 how does he come up with these numbers Sovar Lok Rabbi Meir the Tana of our Mishnah uh, is of the opinion uh, of that of Rabbi Meir. He holds like Rabbi Meir. Now, Rashi emphasizes it's not that Rabbi Yochanan holds. It's rather Rabbi Yochanan is saying that the author of our Mishnah holds like Rabbi Meir. The Omar, Bain Hikir Ba, Bain Lo Hikir Ba, Mosayim. A husband that discovers that his wife is not a Basula, whether he knew she was a Mukas Eitz beforehand or not. Therefore, uh, that doesn't make a difference. According to Rabbi Meir, as far as the amount toward her ksuba, it'll be 200. If we uh, look in Rashi, Kosovar Rabbi Yochanan, Kosovar Becheskas Besula, Venimtseis Beula, Yeshlomona, Hilko HaKochuch Mukatseis Demasis in Rabbi Meir he, Diomar Mosayim, Vuhu Omer Jusas Isha, Yeshlochmona, as far as Rabbi Meir is concerned, uh, a man who marries a woman and it turns out that she is a mukaseitz, whether he knew about it before or not, she is entitled to a ksuba of 200. That's how, uh, the, uh, that's how Rabbi Yochanan comes up with the figure of 200 as far as her claim is concerned. And we continue... Rabbi Lazar Omer b'mona v'loklom sovar lo k'rabbanon. Rabbi Lazar says that the Tana of our Mishnah holds that uh, the amount is based on the opinion of the Rabbanon, not Rabbi Meir. The Amri, according to the Rabbanon who argue with Rabbi Meir, vein hikir ba vein lo hikir ba mona, whether he knew she was a mukas eitz ahead of time or not, the maximum she can get is. 100. It could very well be that as far as uh, a method of analyzing or explaining the difference between Rebbe Meir and the Chachomim regarding the Mukas 8s, according to Rebbe Meir, he's interested when when you're dealing with a woman that lost her virginity, the fact that she lost her virginity is not of prime importance. It's more how she lost it. And if it was not through intimacy, she's considered as if she hasn't lost her virginity in terms of the sum for the ksuba. So the Rebbe Meir is more interested in the how. And the Rabbanon, though, are more interested in the what. Is she a virgin or not? Does she still have the, uh, the, the physical signs of virginity or not? And therefore, according to the Rabbanan, if she's Mukasates, she doesn't have the size. She's not a virgin. And therefore, she gets only 100. Now, we continue in the Gemara. Bishlamah, now we have a new marking, the triangle, and it highlights the expression Bishlamah Rebelozer. You see it here, and you see it in a few lines. That first glance, Rebelozer's analysis of their claims 
would appear to be more likely, more understandable. Bishlomo Rebelozer, lo komar kreb Yochanan. It's easier to follow Rebelozer's approach and not that of Rabbi Yochanan, the Kamuki law Karabonan. He sets up the Mishnah as in accordance with the Shita of the more popular opinion, the majority opinion of the Rabbonan, as opposed to Rabbi Yochanan's approach, which set up the Mishnah in accordance with the singular opinion of Rabbi Meir. Ella, Rabbi Yochanan, my time alone, Why did Rabbi Yochanan not choose to follow the path of Rabbi Lazar? The Gemara answers. Kosovar. Rabbi Yochanan is of the opinion that a man who takes in a woman, who marries a woman thinking she's a basula, and then it turns out that she is a beula, she gets a ksuba of only 100. Hocha, who de mona? In this case, she is saying that uh, she gets 100. That, uh, once again, Here, uh, he, the husband, when he says, Drusas Ish. Well, again, as far as Rabbi Yochan is concerned, uh, the, um, a man who takes in a woman thinking she's a psulin and turns out that she's been involved with intimacy, she gets a ksuba of 100. So, when the man is claiming in our Mishnah that she's a drusas each, she would get 100. And she's saying Mukas eights, and if you set up the Mishnah like the Rabbonah, the Mukas eights also gets 100. So he's claiming 100, she's claiming 100. What would the difference, what is the difference between, why are they arguing? What's the difference between his claim and her claim? Therefore, since there's obviously a difference between his claim and her claim, Rabbi Yochanan could not have set up the Mishnah in accordance with the Rabbonan. He had to set up the Mishnah in a way that when she says Mukas eats, her claim is greater than that which the husband is willing to offer. And since we know that what the husband is willing to offer is 100, her claim when she says Mukas eats must be of 200. And that can be only if you set up the Mishnah in accordance with the opinion of Rebbe Meir, who holds that a Mukas eats gets 200. Bishlomo, we continue again. Bishlomo, Rebbe Lazar, Hainu de Kartani Tarti. If you accept Rebbe Lazar's analysis, we appreciate why we have two two Mishnahs, specifically the Mishnah on Yud Beis Omid Beis and our Mishnah that we just learned. Chado la'afuke midarami bar chamo, v'chado la'afuke midarav chia bar ovin omrav sheshes. Each Mishnah has a role to play as far as Rebbe Lazar is, is concerned. One is to dispense or dispel the opinion of Rebbe of Rami Bar and the other Mishnah's role is to dispel the opinion of Rebbe Bar Ovinom Rav Sheshes. Now, what did they say? Truth is, we've learned them already, but. Uh, there is the tendency on the part of each one of us to forget details, and hence Rashi comes to the rescue. We look at Rashi, 
Bishlomo Rebelozer, Dilmar Drusus Ish, Ein Law Klum. Rebelozer, who explained that when the husband here is saying Drusus Ish, you are Drusus Ish, and therefore you get nothing. So we continue in the Rashi. We're going to read a few, uh, a couple of Rashis now. Hainu de Kotoni Tarti, Bovi, Bemasnisen. There are two sections of Mishnayas, Gabi Plukto de Mamona, in which you see the couple arguing over money matters. How much is the Ksuba? On Yud Beis Omid Beis, he Omeris Mishirastani Nenasti, the and that and the Mishnah here, the he Omeris Mukasetsani. Those are two Mishnayas where in each one the woman makes a specific claim. On Yud Beis Omid Beis, she said that after you married me, I was raped, and the Mishnah which says I lost my virginity because I of impact. Chado lafuke medoromi barchama. And we saw the other Mishnah to dispel, the, uh, dispel uh, the opinion of uh, Rav Chia. And Rashi explains, he delineates everything. The Mishnah on Yud Beis on the base where it said, He Omeres Mishirastani Nasti, Tana, the Tana taught that case, Lemisni Ba, in order to. Um, Insert in his counterclaim in that Mishnah, the Hoya Mekhi Mekartos, Legamri Mashma. The husband's counterclaim there was one of, you know, and uh, I thought you were a Basula and you turn out to be a Baula, the Ain, and it's a Mekartos, means it's a mistaken deal, the Ain Law Klum. The Mishnah had that as part of its agenda to, to make sure that you see the husband saying and therefore you get nothing what's the point? to dispel his approach that a man who thinks she's a basul and it turns out that she's a a um, a bu'ula that she's been a uh, participant in intimacy, she does get exuba. So the Mishnah on Yud Beis and Beis wanted to dispel that idea using the phrase of indicating that the husband's point is you get nothing. So that's the uh, reason the Mishnah on Yud Beis Omid Beis was taught. Vitona he omeris mukasetani and the Mishnah here on Yud Gimel Manaf that we learned already, where she says, "I am the victim of impact." Laafuke midoromi barchama diomaliel gabi mukasets, where Romi barchama taught back on the Yud Aleph, avol lo hikirbo divrei akovlo klum, where if a man married a woman and he didn't know ahead of time that she was uh, a mukasets, that she had lost her virginity. Everyone would agree she gets nothing. You see from our Mishnah that that's not the case. She is putting, she's claiming I'm a Mukasetz. Obviously, she's not saying I get, I get nothing. She's claiming that she gets something. So, as far as the need for this Mishnah, we understand that its role is to dispel Rami Barhamo's point of view. So, as far as Rebbe Lozer is concerned, we, we can account for the two Mishnahs, Yud Bezom and Bezom, the Mishnah we learned already. 
We continue in the Gemara. Elo the Rabbi Yochanan Tarti Glomali. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, what do you need the two Mishnayos for? Now let's go back to Rashi. Elo the Rabbi Yochanan Diomar Konsa Becheskas Pesula Venimseis Beula. A man who thought she was a virgin and it turned out she had had experienced intimacy. Yesh Loksuba Mona. She is entitled to a Ksuba of 100. Imkain my Mekachtos Dikotani. What is the um, what is intended by the expression that we saw in the Mishnah Yudbeis and Mekbeis V'hoya Mechi Mekachtos what does that mean? Amosaya meaning it's a mistake that instead of you're getting instead of what I thought you would get is 200 you get only 100 Avomona Yeshla but you do get 100 Lomoli Lemisni Klaul Lalahi if that's the bottom line that the husband's claim is you're going to get you deserve 100. If the point of that Mishnah, when it says, as far as Rabbi Yochanan is concerned, that you are entitled to some, just not all, you're entitled to 100 instead of 200. So what would the point of teaching that Mishnah be to feature the Machlokes Tanoim, where you've got uh, Rabban Gamliel on the one hand versus Rabbi Yeshua on the other hand, where Rabban Gamliel says that if you have a, a, a claim of Bori versus Shema, ver- on the one hand, that means the woman's claim of Bori and the husband's claim of Shema, and, uh, and Rabban Gamliel believes her because of the Bori, versus the Shema. And on the other, you've got Rabbi Yeshua's opinion that says, no, we keep the money where it is. That's in the husband's possession. Listen, Chada, then let the, Mish, let the, the, uh, the uh, author of the Mishnah is here. Listen, uh, Chada, teach us one Mishnah. Lafuki midorami barchama ulashmin Where you could have had taught just uh, the Mishnah with Rami, with uh, Mukasets, our Mishnah right here on Yud Gimel, where you see that she does get something, that would effectively dispel Romi Bar Chama. And you would also be showing us the machlokis between Rabbi Gamliel versus Rabbi Yeshua, as our Mishnah does. In other, in other words, according to Rabbi Yochanan, where the term Mekachtos is not coming to say that you get nothing which would in effect dispel uh, Rav Chiyobar um, Alvin's approach. No, we're not coming to dispel that. All you're interested, all we're interested in doing is dispelling uh, Romi Bar Chama's approach. Teach just one Mishnah. And that would have given us all the necessary information. You would have conveyed the idea that Mukas 8 does get something. And you would have also featured the Machlokas Tanoim, all in one Mishnah. We turn back to the Gemara. The last one online you can see is underlined. Chadol, I need these two Mishnayis, Yud Beis and Mid Beis, and the Mishnah on Yud Gimel. Chadol, one to show us how far Rabban Gamliel goes. Namely, that a, a Taina of Bori will, will win over uh, even against a Chazoka. And actually, the the Gemara will will elaborate on what we mean over here to show us how far Rav Gamliel goes in another two lines. The Chadol, the other Mishnah, is to show us how far Rabbi Yeshua goes. The Gemara now explains. 
Kamaisa, the Mishnah where she said Mishir Astani Nenasti after you married me I was raped. Lo diachakeche the Rabbi Yoshua to show us how far Rabbi Yoshua goes. The Afagav, the Ikolameimar Migu, even though she had a stronger claim, she could have said that I am a Mukas Eitz, and she would have been able to. Uh, Ha, ha, to be kosher to the kahuna, and she says something that in, that causes her own, she causes herself a certain sense, a certain loss, and that she puzzles herself to the kahuna by saying that after I was married, I was raped. That would render her unfit to the kahuna. She says, and so that even though she has a, a claim with amigu to it, amigu means a, a potential better claim. We still don't believe her. That's Rabbi Yeshua's approach. You see how far Rabbi Yeshua goes? That even though she had, she has a very strong claim, we don't believe her. Lo mehem no, we don't believe her. Basraisa, the second, the mission of Mukas Eitzani, lo diacha kecha de Rabbanam Liel to show us how far Rabbanam Liel is willing to go. The Afagav de Lekolam Meimar Migu mehem no. Even though she is saying the best possible claim, she's not suggesting to us, listen, you should believe me because I could have said something even better for myself. No. She's saying the maximum type claim for herself right now by saying she's a Mukas Eitz. And still Rabbi Gamliel is willing to believe her. Even though she's, as we said, she doesn't have a, she doesn't have this uh, added feature of a Migu. A Migu is that uh, type of claim where a person says, believe me with what I'm saying because I could have said something that would have even been more beneficial or more believable. Nevertheless, in this mission you see how far Rabbi Gamliel goes in believing her. Now, let us glance at the side of the Gemara. We have a nosei klali, a general heading, a general topic, ad sof haperek until the end of the Perak, HaGemara Tidon, the Gemara will evaluate, will analyze the Birur Kashrus Isha Likuna, the Or Hisurus Sibois the Chashad Bilos Asuros. Is a woman going to be considered fit to marry the a Kohen, who we should point out has a higher standard as to who is eligible to marry? The kahuna in general is a category in which we find more mitzvahs, more stringencies, and hence there are limitations to whom a Kohen can marry more so than you find by uh, rank-and-file members of the Jewish people. And here we're going to encounter situations where there are problems or uh, suspicions that arise regarding the woman and those suspicions lead to uh, possible restrictions regarding her kashrus, regarding her kashrus meaning her eligibility to marry a Kohen. The Mishnah. We open up this Mishnah with a, an unmarried woman, a Penuya. And we also note that in this Mishnah you'll see Roman numeral 1 and later Roman numeral number 2. Two parts, two cases. Here we'll translate literally, but you have to realize immediately that the literal translation is not enough for understanding the Mishnah. She was seen speaking with a man. The Omru law Mativoshal Ishse, 
And we asked her, uh, what's the nature of this man? And she says, Ish Ploni who he's a kosher individual. Kohen is a borrowed expression, meaning he has pure, he's of pure genealogy. And uh, therefore, he wouldn't affect me in any negative way. Rabon Gamliolva, Rabbi Lezer, Omrim Nemenes, she is believed, and that would mean she is Kashera to the Kahuna. Rabbi Yeshua Omer Lomi Pionu Chaim, as we've seen already several times, we don't live by her words. And we therefore, in our non-believing of her statement, we have to consider her as if she had intimacy with uh, disqualifying individuals. And Nosin and Mamzer, these are people that if they would have intimacy with a woman, their intimacy disqualifies her to the kahuna. Until she would bring proof to her claim. Hoysamu Beres, a woman is uh, met and she is pregnant. Viyamru law, and we ask her, what's the nature of this child, of the, of the uh, fetus? And she says, well, Me'ish Ploni who I was impregnated by a kosher type individual. She's believer. We don't live by her words. We suspect that she was impregnated by a Nosin and Mamzer. The, these are people that uh, would render the uh, child unfit if they, in fact, fathered the child. And they would be, if it's a girl, for example, that's born, she would not be able to marry into the kuna. Until she can bring proof to what she claims that the father is a kosher person. My midaber. So here we uh, immediately focus on translating the second word of the Mishnah. We found her midaberis. What does that mean, midaberis? The uh, topic heading on the side introduces this Gemara by saying, Our Mishnah presented two cases where an issue of suspicion uh, arises. We'll see now Rav Ziri and Rav Asi arguing as to what was the first case, what actually happened there. So now we going back to the Gemara. After the Gemara asks, "My Medaberes Ziri Omar Nistera," Nistera means she was uh, seen going into private with a man, but we didn't see an actual act of intimacy. Rashi says, "Nistera v'yafapi shalom ro'uashinivala nifsolikuna l'Rabbi Yeshuot l'Kamon demals biuchsin." Rashi is, is uh, revealing the points that the Gemara makes later on, but for our purposes, what we want to emphasize is, according to Ziri, we didn't see actual intimacy, but uh, it's enough that she went into private with a man that uh, gives basis for uh, Rabbi Yoshua in our mission, saying that she loses her kashrus status, her status of acceptability to the kahuna. The next opinion, Rav Asi, Omar Niv'Allah, the Mishnah says, Roma Daberis, really means she was seen in an actual act of intimacy with uh, a, some man. We uh, saw in the Mishnah that uh, she uh, claims this uh, the unidentified man as being a kosher individual, and again, Rabbi Yoshua says we're not going to rely on her claims. Now, as we go on in the Gemara, you see we have a new um, 
geometric form. And on the on the side of the Gemara, you'll see that we have uh, a diamond and a squiggle underline. Hadgoshas Bishlamaziri. Each time the Gemara is going to say that things would seem to work out better for Ziri's approach. Now, um, the uh, double underline also appears in the marking scheme and it's uh, used to emphasize the expression Hainu de Kotoni Tarti it's with this this that we can appreciate why two cases were taught uh, this expression Hainu de Kotoni Tarti you'll see uh, 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 continues uh, when we get to uh, Omid Bey's about, you see six lines from the top. Again, you see a Bishlama Lazi'iri uh, expression. And later on the Omid, you see again Kotoni uh, Mihastarti, which is essentially the same marking, which highlights this idea that two cases were taught. So, why did the Mishnah feature two cases? So, now we continue with the Gemara itself. <laughs> After having mapped out the structure, Hainu de Kotoni Medaberas. According to Ziiri, that said, uh, we saw her Medaberas, uh, and Ziiri said, meant said it, we saw her going into privacy. So the word Medaberas is is understandable. We saw her talking, and then uh, talking and going into private with someone. Ella uh, Larav Asi. Uh, which, by the way, this, this um, dash underline you see is used to highlight this uh, the turnaround in the more Well, what about Ravasi? But according to Ravasi, my medaberis, the Ravasi's explanations was we saw the witnesses saw an act of intimacy. What does medaberis have to do with intimacy? Medaberis, as we said, that's a term that people uh, are seen talking in private. Okay, that's a legitimate turn a phrase. But what is Midaberis of the Mishnah, how does that relate to the, uh, Rav, the Rav Asi explanation that we saw her in an act of intimacy? The Gemara says Lishna Ma'alya. It's simply a euphemism. And we find euphemisms for intimacy as we see in the following Pasuk. It says uh, she uh, she ate and she wiped her mouth and she says I did nothing wrong. But what the pasuk is actually describing is intimacy. And what word does it use? Ochla. She was eating. A euphemism. So we see that euphemisms are used to describe what is actually an act of intimacy. With regard to Ziiri, things work out well. I understand why there was need for teaching two cases. One was a case where we saw her go into simply private, and the other was a case where we saw an actual act of intimacy. And Rashi elaborates here and says... The two cases, the case of Midaberis, shows us how far Rabbi Yeshua goes, meaning, even though we didn't see an actual act of intimacy, Rabbi Yeshua renders her unfit to the Kona. And we see the case of Muberis, where we know she was involved with intimacy, and yet Rabbi Gamliel is willing to give her a clean, uh, clean report. So as far as Ziri is concerned, I, 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 I appreciate why there were 
the, the purpose, the significance of having two cases. According to Rav Asi, what do I need two cases which are uh, which in effect are really the same the they're both cases where we are aware with certainty of intimacy the Gemara answers one of the cases is taught to show to uh, let's say reflect the um, on the on the side of Ramon Leo that she is herself kosher to marry a Kohen. And the other case is to show that if the girl, if the child that's born from the, uh, we'll call the unknown father, based on the mother's claim, the child is also kosher to marry into the Kohuna. So I need two sections of the Mishnah, one to, sh- one to say the mother is kosher, and the other to say that the child is kosher. And we should point out that it's not enough to tell us that the mother is kosher, because the mother had what's called a cheskas kasher. She was known before any doubts arose anyway to be a kosher woman for the kohuna. Therefore, it's important to teach regarding the child as well. The child who was never who had, has not been born yet, so she didn't achieve a, a known status. The Gemara continues. This uh, answer, as far for Rav Asi, is fine, is an acceptable answer according to one of two opinions that we haven't seen here, but there is a machlokis on this matter, and according to the opinion, the Divriya there is uh, an opinion that says that if the mother is kosher, the daughter is kosher. But there is an opinion that says that even though we can machshir the mother, we cannot machshir the child. The child does not have a status of kashrus. So then, what am I to say about the need for two sections in the Mishnah? I don't have, I now don't have, uh, I can't say that the second case in the mission is there to teach me about the kashras of the daughter. The Gemara answers very simply, Rav Asi, Sovar Rav Asi happens to, to subscribe to the opinion that says, if the mother is kosher, the daughter is also considered kosher. Omar le Rav Popo le Abaye. Ziiri the Omar my Medaberes Nistara, according to Ziiri that said the word Medaberes in the Mishnah meant went into private. The Omar Rabbi Yeshua lo mehemna, and the Tano in our Mishnah Rabbi Yeshua says, well, by uh, uh, since she went into private with an unknown man, she is not believed, and she's considered Niveles. She's considered as if she's actual intimacy with someone that's puzzle. But is it not is it not so that Haoma Rav Malkin al Hayichud Vein Oisrin al Hayichud? Rav in a, in another place says that Yichud is the same thing as Nistro is going into private. And if a 
woman is seen going into private, a, a, a married woman is seen going into private, we will give her a, a rabbinic penalty of lashing. Rabbinic, we call it rabbi, rabbinic lashing. However, that married woman that was seen going into private is not considered as if she had intimacy with the man. We don't, ain't oser means we don't, we don't declare that married woman to be forbidden to her husband. The din is, the halach is that a married woman who has intimacy with another man, so she's forbidden to be with her husband. But for going into, merely going into private, we don't consider, we don't view her as if she had intimacy with that guy. So now we have, according to Ziri, we have a Mishnah, and focusing on Rebbe Yoshua, that says that her going into private is tantamount, is, is, it's considered by Halacha that she did have intimacy with that guy, and that's what makes her unfit to the Kahuna. But Rav says that going into intimacy is halachically not viewed as if she went all the way and had intimacy. So, Lema Delo, Karebi Yoshua, should we say that our, that Rav then is not, Rav is an Amora, and that his opinion is, does not conform to the Tanaic opinion of Rabbi Yoshua? The Gemara says, Afilu Temo Rabbi Yoshua. Rav's opinion can, uh, is, is something that Rabbi Yeshua also can, can accept. However, here we're dealing with the woman's acceptability to the kahuna, a very specific issue. Male it's a stringency that's imposed with regard to matters of yuchasin genealogy, specifically with regard to the kahuna. So that with regard to the kahuna, so we consider it as if she had actual intimacy. But in general, even Rabbi Yeshua will concede to that which Rav says, or uh, that she is not viewed as actually having an intimacy with regard to forbidding her to her husband. We continue in the Gemara with a new geometric form, and under the Mivne heading, the volcano shape or trapezoid, Arkushios Mimakuros Al Rav Asi. Um, we're now going to be attacking Rav Asi's approach from Tanaic sources. So you notice that there's a question here, and when you look at Omid Bey's, you notice about a third of the way down the page is another. There's a Maysfeya question that's presented to him from another Tanaic source. Maysfeya. Uh, maybe before we go ahead, just let's remind ourselves that Rav Asi said that the Medaberis of the Mishnah was, we saw her in an actual act of intimacy. Maysfeya. Ro'ua shenichnesa im echod l'seser. Oi, we at the top of Omid Beis, O Lechorba. There are two cases. We saw her going in, uh, with somebody, an unknown guy, Lesaser. And Lesaser, Rashi says, is Mashmeichud Bama, simply going into privacy, into seclusion with some guy. The top of Omid Beis, O Lechorba. Chorba is a ruin. Then here, Rashi says that. A chorba. When you when we speak about a woman going into a chorba, you can assume that it, it, it it's a it's a reference to intimacy. The omru law, and we ask the woman mativo shalish 
What's the nature of this guy that you were uh, with? Koenu uben achi abahu. She answers, "Oh, he's a uh, he's a kosher individual." The actual translation is not important for us right now. It's, what's important is to note that she's saying she's claiming that the fellow was a totally was a was a type of person whose intimacy with me would not render me unfit. The same expression we've seen so many times already today. Rabbi Ramliel says she is believed, and Rabbi Yeshua says no. According to Ziri, I can appreciate why we have two cases taught. Remember, Ziri said that the Machlokis Tanoim between Ramliel Lazar versus Rabbi Yeshua applies even in a case where we see her going into mere seclusion. Namely, even without our having seen an actual act of of uh, intimacy. So the so this Tanaic source features two cases that uh, that mirror those two situations: seclusion and actual intimacy. But according to Ravasi, that says that the machlokes tanoim applies only in a case where there's actual intimacy, but not. In a case where there's simple seclusion, tarti lomali. What's the purpose of having two cases? We have lasaser o lechorba. The Gemara says there aren't two cases. Chato kotong is only one case. Lasaser the chorba. She went into private in a ruin, and we said that a ruin is a place of intimacy where intimacy takes place. Question: The language of the source indicates two separate cases. The Gemara answers: Okay, you're right. They're two separate cases, but they're both situations of intimacy. One is a ruin in a community, in a settled area, and the other is a ruin. The dabro means in a field, in an, in an outlying area. And I need to. Uh, feature both scenarios. Note, we have a long answer here. The e Ashmina and Chorba Damasa, had we taught that case, a, a woman was seen going into a ruin, and again, we say going into a ruin is tantamount to having uh, seen her in an act of intimacy. And if we ta- had taught the case of Chorba Damasa, Chorba, a ruin in a city, there and maybe only there Rabbi Gamliel would say she's kosher because in a city and we'll assume for our discussion we're talking about a Jewish city the majority of men that are there are people that would not render her unfit to the kahuna but a ruin that's out in an outlying area in a, that's ex- ex- exposed to a uh, all kinds of people, even people that are Gentiles that would render her unfit to the kahuna. The Rosulimetslaw, the majority of the people in the outlying areas are people that would render her unfit. 
to to the Kuna. Amal, I would think, I would have thought, Molde lay the Rebbe Yeshua. That Rabbi Gamliel would concede to Rabbi Yeshua that there we would not believe her her claim of kashrus. The Ashmina Bayinara had a taught only one case, the case of Horba de Dabra, the ruin in an out in a field. Bahikom Rabbi Yeshua there, maybe only then would Rabbi Yeshua say she's not believed and is rendered unfit. But in the case of Horba de Masa, Rabbi Yeshua would concede to Rabbi Gamliel. Therefore, I have to teach both cases that in both cases, each Tanaic opinion maintains their grounds. Mesve. We have a question. I'll note there's a very there's a long question ahead of us. The structure is worth noting ahead of time. There's a starred note on the side. Yeshlitzayin, we're reading our start note. Yeshlitzayin, we should point out, Shagmor Mavia Brysa, the Gemara will quote a Tanaic source, Shabakriya Rishayna Chasras Havana. Upon our first reading, it's not understandable, especially the second half of the source is, is uh, obscure. Bahem Sheikh, a Gemara Mazbira Habrysa, afterwards the Gemara will. Explain the brisa varak achakach magiel lekushin, and only after after that we eventually get to the heart of the question. For those of you who don't like to sit in suspense, you can skip down to almost the end of the long question. You can see the double underline again, a very helpful marking. Kotoni mias tarti. There were two cases taught, medaberes and meuberes, two separate cases. And, and, and the case of Mu'uberis is in, in, in is, let's say, is separate or in contrast or just to the case of Medaberis. So they're two separate cases. And at that point, it says, Tufta de Ravasi. This would repudiate Ravasi. In other words, we are showing you that Medaberis is not a euphemism for intimacy. Otherwise, you would have Mu'uberis, which is also a case of intimacy. You don't need two cases. So from the uh, from the fact uh, that you see two cases, we are we are then uh, we are then to understand that midaberes does not mean actual intimacy, but it means simply going into private. And even under those circumstances, Rabbi Yoshua the Tana would say, as we'll see in this source, that she is unrendered unfit. That for mere witnessing her going into seclusion with an unknown man. The Tano Rabbi Yoshua would render her unfit. And that is not like Rav Asi. Just to repeat, according to Rav Asi, her going into mere seclusion would not be enough to render her unfit, even according to Rabbi Yoshua. And here we're going to demonstrate that uh, witnessing her, seeing her go into seclusion is grounds for rending her unfit to the guna according to the Tano Rebbe Yoshua. And now we turn to the beginning of the long question. This testimony is a testimony that a woman is believed. Simply that if the woman says I had intimacy with a kosher man that that uh, 
that information is something we can rely on, and she remains kosher and acceptable to marry a Kohen. For Bishomer, Eino Nemenah, she's not believed, and she would not be allowed to marry a Kohen. Omer Lohem Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yeshua says to his opponents, Would you not concede to me regarding a woman taken into captivity? And there are witnesses that saw her being taken into captivity. And she would claim, Yeah, I was taken into captivity. And of course you have witnesses that say so, but I remained uh, clean. I remained um, pure. Not, uh, I was not victimized in intimacy, through intimacy. You wouldn't believe her. So they said, yes, you, we, we agree, you're right, that's true, we would not believe her. So Rabbi Yeshua says back, so you, you see that you guys are not believing her. What's the difference between the case of being taken into captivity and the case of us having uh, seen her with some other guy and she says he was a kosher guy? Why there are you willing to believe Answer, Lazu Yesh Aidim. In the case of the captivity, there were witnesses. There, there were witnesses that, that saw her take, being taken into captivity. Lazu And in the case of Midaberes, uh, there are no witnesses. Omar Lohem, Af Lazu Yesh Aidim, Sharei Kreso Ben well, in the case of uh, Midaberes, there are also witnesses, says Rabbi Yeshua. You see that she, her belly is between her teeth. That means, you see, she's pregnant. Now, we said earlier that this is not meant to make sense at this point. The Gemara has to clarify what is going on. So, it's not clear, but if you translate it, it means they said back to him, the majority of idol worshippers engage in harlotry. Omar Lohem, Rabbi Yeshua says back, There's no guarantor with regard to matters of fidelity. When is she said to be believed according to Rabbi Gamliel, that's with regard to testimony that she says that ha- reflects upon herself. But with regard to testimony that would affect her daughter, everyone agrees that the child is a shtuki. Shtuki is a doubt. As we said, I know it sounds sometimes a little repetitious, but here the Gemara spells it out. What did he say to them? And what did they say back to him? The uh, we have a, a, a subtopic heading on the side uh, we call the Tatnose, where we wrote Shvuya a woman taken into captivity. Everyone agrees is rendered unfit to the kuna. Are we to compare to that situation, Ruah Shinistro, where we saw women go into private? Or Nimseis Muberes, where we find a woman that is pregnant. Are we going to render those situations also the, uh, the woman being unfit to the kahuna? So now we go back into the Gemara. 
Hochi Koamri Lei. The following is what the Rabbonon said to Rabbi Yoshua. Hishavtonu al Hamuberes. You'll notice that we have a we have arrows uh, to the immediate left hand side of the Gemara text, and the arrow we see now is to be uh, associated with the arrow above. And you'll take a look at the Rashi. My Ko'omalu, the Rashi we're reading is in the middle of the Rashi column. Klomar. My Ko'omar Luhu Ihu. What did Rabbi Yeshua say to the Rabbonon to call Mahadri Le'inhu that caused them to say to him, Rov Ovde Kechovim Prutsim Baroyas, that the majority of idol worshippers are. Involved with uh, immorality. Is this a response to that which he said to them? Rabbi Yeshua had said to them, uh, This case also has witnesses. There's nothing more obviously uh, frivolous than a woman that you see actually pregnant. A, uh, an unmarried woman that you see impregnated by some unknown guy what's more porutz than that so what was going on what was taking place in the conversation between the Rabbon and Rabbi Yoshua and that's what we're here to clarify so we read in our Gemara that the, that the Rabbonon Again, uh, I know we've said this a few times already, but the Rabbonon represent uh, like Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi and uh, Rabbi Lezer that were willing to believe the woman. Rabbi Shua was not willing to believe the woman, so they said to him, "He shavtonu amuberes, you have um, you have uh, answered us with a." a winning type argument regarding the pregnant woman, namely. Just like we concede that when a woman is taken into captivity, it's as far as we're concerned, it's it's it's, it's certain that she was uh, misused by the uh, idol worshiper captors. They had intimacy with her, and therefore we agree she's rendered unfit to the Gahuna. What do you think happens with a woman taken into captivity? So, Rabbi Yeshua said, "Look, you know, just like that's the case there, so too." A woman who is a single woman who comes in front of us is, is now pregnant. Uh, it's 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 equally obvious that uh, she was impregnated. Uh, she was she was a part of um, because of her her pregnancy. You can see that she was obviously part participant in an act of intimacy, and uh, just like. Just like we agree, just like we understand that in a case of a captive woman, she is rendered unfit to the kuna. So too in the case of a woman who comes in front of us pregnant. So that's what they said to uh, that's what they said to Rabbi Yeshua above in the source when Rabbi Yeshua said to them, "So too this one has witnesses." Just like in the case of the captive woman, there are witnesses. So too, uh, and and by, by the mere fact that she was taken into captivity, 
and we know that the majority of idol worshippers engage in in uh, in harlotrous acts. That's that's tantamount to certainty that she was involved with intimacy. So likewise, the woman who is pregnant, it's one hundred percent sure that she was involved with an act of intimacy. So there we concede to you that the muberes is rendered unfit to the guna. What are you going to say? Uh, what, are you, what are you, Rabbi Yeshua, going to answer us with regard to the case of Medaberis? Why there do you say that she's rendered unfit? Omar Lohem Medaberis Hainu Shvuya. So Rabbi Yeshua says back to them that the case of Medaberis is just like the case of Shvuya. What, do we, what does that mean? So Rashi explains across from here. Just like the case of Medaberes represents a situation where there are no witnesses, uh, there's no witnesses of actual intimacy. And by the way, here you see already a problem for Ravasi. Because we're saying that the case of Medaberes is not a case of actual intimacy. Ravasi had said Medaberes represented a case of actual intimacy. So here you have, just like a case of Medaberis, there's not, there is no witnesses of actual intimacy. So, and Rabbi Yeshua says to them, uh, the ca- that is similar to the case of Shvuya, which you agreed she is rendered unfit. So let's go over that again in the Rashi. Medaberis hainu shvuya. Ma medaberis ein lo edim. A shvuya ein lo edim. In the case of a woman taken captive, we never said that we have witnesses that saw the actual act of intimacy. And you, Rabbi Gamliel, you, uh, who you people who are willing to give credibility to the woman or are willing to concede that in the case of shvuya that she's rendered unfit. So in the case of medaberis, also you should concede to me she's unfit. They're, 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 they're one and the same. Omrulo, they said back to him. Shiny Shvuya, the case of captivity is different. The rove of the Kachom The majority of idol worshippers are involved with uh, with frivolous uh, and harlotrous acts, and therefore she's considered definitely to have had intimacy. Omar Laham, so Rabbi Yeshua says back to them, Honami, Kiva Distater. Once she goes into seclusion with some man, there's no guarantor that she didn't have actual intimacy. It's as good as uh, a foregone conclusion that she had intimacy. So what we've done till now is we've clarified what the na- what was the uh, the contents of that discussion between uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua and his opponents. To summarize, the uh, Rabbi Yeshua was trying to make the case that just like his opponents concede to her being rendered unfit in the case of Shivuya, so too in the case of Mulberes, and and even in the case where the woman goes into mere seclusion. And on that very point, the uh, opponents were not willing to concede to Rabbi Yeshua. Kotani Mias Tarti. Now we have to focus on the immediate agenda of the Gemara. The question fo- uh, uh, focused against Rav Asi. We see in this discussion two separate cases, Medaberes Umuberes. And it was very clear from our discussion that 
Mubaris represented definite intimacy, and Midaberis represented a case where there wasn't clear intimacy. Who said, well, who said that Midaberis reflected simple seclusion and not actual intimacy? That we saw by Rabbi, that's what Ziri said. Ravasi, though, had said that Medeberis meant was a euphemism for actual intimacy. This discussion revealed that Medeberis does not mean actual intimacy. Tyufto de Ravasi, Tyufto. So from here we see a conclusive refutation of Ravasi, because in this discussion we see that the Tano Rebbe Yoshua was going to declare her unfit to the Kuna even in a situation where there was an actual witnessing of intimacy, where all there was, there was witnessing of her going into seclusion. And even on, under those circumstances, Rabbi Shua declared her unfit to the Guna, counter to Rav Asi's approach. The Gemara now asks a question that's focused on the Tana Rabbi Yeshua. The Tepuk lay, could Rav Yeshua not have made a distinction between the case of Shivuya and the case of Nistara? He, he wanted to equate them, but why did he equate them? The Tepuk lay, should Rav Yeshua not have made a distinction? Hostahosam, in the case of the woman taken into captivity, wrote Sulamet, so the majority of the people. Uh, of the men over there were, were, were idol worshippers, they, they were puzzled, they would render her unfit to the Kona. The Hacha, in the case of the woman in the uh, Jewish community going into seclusion, Rav Ksherimet's law. The majority were kosher. And uh, a Jewish man that has uh, you know, a one night stand with, a, uh, with an unmarried Jewish woman, that doesn't render her unfit to the kahuna. So that that's what we mean when we say rove chairman. So the majority in this case uh, of, a, of, a, of a woman in a Jewish community going into seclusion, into yichud with some uh, guy, the, the majority chances are that she would remain kosher. Does Rabbi Yeshua not see that distinction? The Gemara responds, Messiah Le, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. What we are seeing here, that Rabbi Shua does not make that distinction, supports Rabbi Shua ben Levi's approach. The Yom Rabbi Shua ben Levi, the Divrei HaMachshir, the Tanaic opinions that say she is kosher, Machshir Afilu Barob Psulam, they would say she's kosher even in a situation where the majority of men would be unfit, would render her unfit. How can uh, she can? How could she remain kosher? So the Hesber to the explanation is that she had a cheskas kasher. She was known. She had a status before anything happened as being kosher to the kuna. So the the chazaka is a stronger feature, according to the machshir, like Rabbi Gamliel, than the fact that she's in an environment of rov psulim. But Rabbi Yeshua, who says she's unacceptable, will follow, will, will say thusly, even in an environment where the majority of people are kosher. Before continuing in the Gemara, we have a new marking. And on the side, the uh, Nosei Mivneh, we feature a crown shape. 
And the crown highlights the Amoroyim, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lazar. Machlokas Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lazar, im ludivraha machshir ba, machshirim gam bebita. This machlokas we had made an allusion to before in our uh, in our Gemara, the earlier part of today's shir. Omer of Yochanan, ludivraha machshir ba, machshir bebita. He who was willing to accept the woman's testimony regarding uh, her kashrus, uh, regarding herself and being allowed to marry a Kohen, will accept her testimony regarding the child that she is carrying in pregnancy. Rabbi Yoshua, who says that we don't accept her testimony regarding herself, we don't accept the testimony regarding the kashas of the child. Either the child is also considered unfit if she's a girl to marry a Kohen. Rebbe Lozer is more restrictive and if you focus on the dashed underlining you can see the point of difference between Rabbi Yochan and Rebbe Lozer that uh, according to Rebbe Lozer even the Tanoim that are willing to accept the woman's word with regard to herself we're not going to accept her word regarding the child that she is carrying in pregnancy. What's the reason for Rebbe Lozer's restriction? The answer is The woman herself had a given known status before any doubts arose of being kosher. The girl, the child that is, that she's the, the daughter, the fetus, the female fetus that she is carrying, was never, was, hasn't been born yet. She never achieved a known status. In other words, her, her, her whole conception is shrouded in doubt. A long question, you take note of that. We have a uh, Tanaic source in which we saw this we saw uh, quoted earlier. If you uh, have any uh, trouble finding where that was, so you can use the little star that you find to the uh, immediate right-hand side of the Gemara text and work your way up and you see where there was uh, where this citation was noted earlier. So in the Tanaic source it says that uh, under what circumstances did Ramam Leel accept the woman's word? That's with regard to her testimony concerning herself. But testimony that she uh, issues regarding her daughter, everyone agrees. Even the, uh, the lenient opinions regarding the believability of the woman say the Vlad is Shtuki. My love, Shtuki Apostle. The term Shtuki, you can see in the in the, the last parak of Kiddushin, is associated with uh, people that are unfit. Shtuki literally means uh, silence. We, we don't know who the uh, father is, and therefore he is, the child is considered unfit. Lo, Shtuki Pekosha. The term Shtuki does not mean unfit. There's Shtuki, there's a, an element of doubt. Shtuki indicates doubt, but the child is kosher. Question kosher is there it's almost a, a uh, contradiction in terms. Shtuki kosher. The Gemara answers yes, there is such a thing. There were uh, ten 
known kosher individuals, ten kohanim. And uh, one of them uh, separated Uboal and uh, had intimacy. One of those ten known kosher men had intimacy with a woman. Havlat uh, Shtuki. Uh, uh, the, the child that's born is called Shtuki. My Shtuki. What do you mean by that? That we deprive him, literally, we silence him from attempting to inherit his father's property. Pshita, that's obvious. Do we know who the father is? It's one of ten men, but we don't know specifically who it is. So, how in the world would you think that the child could inherit his, his father's property when he doesn't know who his father is? What does Shtuki mean? We silence him from the privileges of Kahuna. Rashi explains, he cannot serve in the base Hamigdash, nor can he eat from Truma. Now that is quite a Kiddush. We know that his father was a Kohen, yet this child is not entitled to the privileges of Kahuna. He's not entitled to work in the base Hamigdash, nor is he entitled to eat Truma, the tithe that only Kahanim are entitled to eat. The Posuk that teaches us this is as follows. That's the pasuk that that wraps it all up with regard to kohanim. And what do we what do we mean? What does it mean for us? He whose children are traceable to their father. to the exclusion of this one. The, you have a child that's born, but he is not traceable to his father. He, you, don't, you cannot say that he's miyuchas, that he's connected genealogically to any specific one of these men. And therefore, he's called a shtuki. The child himself can, uh, if, it's a, if it's a girl that's born under those circumstances, she's kosher to the kahuna. As far as, uh, as, far as using the term shtuki, that is a reflection of the element of doubt that exists, thereby depriving him from Kohen privileges. Before we continue in the Gemara, we glance at the side where we have a topic heading, the Nosei Orus Farusoso, Shemoidim Sheubo Arion Mimenu, Vieshlach Shu. We have a case of a, of a couple that uh, she is married to him. And uh, they come in front of us, and she comes, she's uh, pregnant. And we speak about an orus. This is a point that we've mentioned many times already since the beginning of the Mesichta. Uh, but an, an orus, uh, a rusa, is a description of a married woman in the first stage of marriage. This is a stage of marriage before the chuppah, before the canopy ceremony, which in the time of the Gemara was something that took place, the chuppah nisuin uh, stage took place uh, at a, uh, a, with a time gap after the erusin. So we have a situation, and uh, only after the chuppah, the marriage canopy ceremony, do you have the couple uh, experiencing actual um, intimacy as man and wife. So here we have a situation where they they didn't reach that stage, the second stage of their marriage, and yet she comes in front of us and she's already pregnant. He Amra Mine. She's saying, I was impregnated by my 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 husband, though we are still at the uh, 
the first stage, we haven't consummated the marriage with the chuppah ceremony, but he is the one that impregnated me. And not some, it's not, not some outsider that would uh, render the child a mamzer, but it's him, it's my husband. The who, Omar, and the Oros says in Mino, yes, I am the one that impregnated her. And uh, I, even though it's uh, maybe it's not the, the, the best thing to have a, uh, an act of intimacy and uh, impregnation uh, prior to the Nisuin, but the child is kosher if, if, that, if we knew that to be the case. So, Omar of Yosef, what's there to suspect over here? Chada, Deha, Komode. Uh, first, uh, first of all, he is conceding. I am the one that impregnated her. And furthermore, and and this implies that even if he wasn't conceding, but we would we accept Rabbi Gamliel anyway. That she is believed. That if there happens to be a controversy between them, she would be believed. So Rav Yosef rules that the child is certainly kosher. In Rav Yosef's presentation, as we just explained, he implied that the Vlad would be kosher, the fetus, the child is kosher, even if the husband was not agreeing that he is the one. We uh, con- continue with the question. It lasts a couple of lines. You can see we have a long question marking. Amale Abaye. In a case like this, if the husband did not concede to her, would Rabbi Gamliel have actually said that the child is kosher? Shinana means a wise one or sharp one. Shmuel says to Rabbi Yehuda, Halacha Gamliel. The halacha in general follows Rabban Gamliel. And and yet do not rule like Rabban Gamliel uh, in accepting the woman's word unless you have a case of rov. The majority of the men in the area are ksherim etzla are are people that would not render her unfit. The hocha means in this case when you have an arusa, an arusa is a married woman. So the majority of the men around are unfit for her. She's fit only for her husband. She's a married woman. So Abaye's question to Rav Yosef is, uh, is, is as follows. You, Rav Yosef, implied that Rabbi Gamliel is willing to believe the woman under all circumstances. Here you see that we, we don't accept Rabbi Gamliel under all circumstances. In other words, the halacha doesn't follow that. You have to, in addition to, uh, in addition to the woman's word, you've got to have the, the, the situation surrounding her where rove men would be acceptable, meaning would not render her unfit, but in the case of the Oros and Arusa, most of the men would render her unfit. So, Rav Yosef responds, Uletamech. And this is a response that lasts a few lines. Tikshi loch hi gufa. The 
expression that Shmuel said to review to itself is not clear. He said, he said on the one halacha, halacha means we follow Gamliel. Gamliel says that you take her word, she's kosher. And then he says, well, and then and he says, don't rule kosher. Don't act upon that. And, and, and he qualified it, unless you have rov sherem, but you don't rely on the woman's word. What do you have to say then about about what was said? Lechatchila means what is a first choice situation. If a uh, a kohen would come and ask the Beisdin, uh can I marry this woman? Uh, the basin would say you cannot marry her based on her word until you have a situation that rov k'sheir metzlah that's called lechatchila first choice what we would paskin at the outset haudievet then you have the situation of something that's post facto that if a kohen married a woman who's uh, who, uh, who's shrouded in doubt and the, the Kohen didn't come to ask us, we would, uh, assuming that the woman said that she had uh, been with a kosher man, we would not tell the Kohen to divorce her. The case that came to me, says Rav Yosef, you have a case of a woman who was impregnated, it's like that post-facto situation. She comes to us pregnant, and now the question is, should we render the child unfit and to asser, you know, render the child unfit and to asser the husband from being with her? So we say, we're not going to render them unfit. We're not going to asser the husband. Post facto, we go with Rabbi Gamliel's word that if she says she was with a kosher man and we saw in this case she said that it was impreg- she was impregnated by the husband and the husband conceded we'll accept that so we have what's called a bidieved situation so what Abaye was was saying to Rav Yosef was in effect as at the end of the Gemara yes on a first choice basis we don't go um, along the the ruling of Rav Gamliel alone that we simply believe her, but we would want to be in a situation where the majority of men that might have been with her would have not rendered her unfit. That's a first choice situation, but in a post facto situation, we will go with her word alone, like Rav Gamliel's teaching.